the book of Jonah again with me this evening, Jonah chapter 1. This morning, we covered some important introductory questions um, that hopefully will help us as we, as we go through this study. Um, hopefully, will give us some context uh, with which to, to view um, this book that we're getting into. And uh, I would encourage you, if you weren't able to be here this morning for, for whatever reason, you can always go back and, and listen to the message. We do record those, and, and you can find them on, on the podcasts and on YouTube and, and those different places. So I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to that if you weren't able to be here this morning, just to kind of uh, get, the, get the introductory material that we looked at for this book. Um, tonight, I want to draw our attention to the first three verses of this story. And we're going to begin to, to walk our way through this book together, verse by verse. We, we won't uh, take this few of verses uh, each time. I told you that the goal is to get through this in six sermons. So obviously, in the coming sermons, we're going to look at bigger chunks. But uh, tonight, we'll look at just the first three verses in the book of Jonah. You know, when I was growing up, um, one of the favorite things for the juniors in our church, myself included, well, not myself included the first couple years, but once I got a little bit older, I, I started to enjoy it. That was junior camp. Um, my church growing up, we always held our own junior camp. And uh, when I was growing up, we would rent out a campsite and uh, in fact, some of our teenagers have been to the campsite that I was at when I had junior camp because the, where we held our winter retreat the first year in Pennsylvania with my brother's group, uh, Laurel Lake Camp, that's, that's where we rented out and that's where we had junior camp uh, when I was growing up. And uh, the first couple years uh, I was there, I didn't necessarily enjoy it as much because I, I, I was homesick the whole time and I had to learn to get over that. But, but uh, eventually I really, really enjoyed it. And still to this day, back home, this church, or my, my home church where I grew up, they still continue to hold junior camp. And uh, they now actually have their own little campsite that was gifted to the church, and so they're able to use that on, on a yearly basis. But, uh, but the favorite event, the favorite activity of the week was this, hide and go seek. You say, Really? Yeah, really, but it, was, it wasn't just your normal game of hide-and-go-seek. Say, here's what it was. This, was. this was a game of find the counselor. See, that makes it more fun. And throughout the week, the kids know, the kids know that by the end of the week, at some point towards the end of the week, we're going to play this game of find the counselor. And throughout the week, without, without fail, there was always at least a few kids that were just like to the counselors, like, I'm going to find you. Like, it was their mission. I'm going to find you. You cannot hide from me. And of course, it was the counselor's mission to, to find a hiding spot where the kids couldn't find them for a couple reasons. Number one, to win the game, but number two, it was a chance for peace and quiet for about an hour, right? I mean, if they don't find you, you're by yourself, and you don't get that at junior camp. 
And so we would play this game of, of hide-and-go-seek, and, and, and it was one of the, one of the favorites, one, one, of the, one of the best times of the week, one of those times that the kids enjoyed, the counselors enjoyed, the kids got into it. They were pumped about the game. And the counselors were pumped to hide. And there were a few times where, actually, as I got older as a teenager, I became the counselor and had opportunities to be the one to hide. And I won't tell you where my hiding spot was, but I will tell you that it was never found. All right, so I'm pretty proud of that still. But, uh, you know, these third and fourth graders can't find me. But anyway, you know, tonight as we come to the book of Jonah, Jonah wasn't a hiding counselor. But as we see in our passage this evening, or as we will see in our passage this evening, he wanted to be a hiding prophet. He wanted to be a hiding prophet. Jonah was one that did not want to obey God, and Jonah was going to do everything he could to get away from the presence of God in his life. This morning we said that the sovereignty of God is one of the main themes in the book of Jonah. And interestingly enough, it's introduced in these first few verses. Tonight we're going to focus on two main points as as we go through our message this evening. And, And these two main points, they'll just follow directly the path of the text. We're going to see this. We're going to see a commission to obey. And we're going to see a refusal to heed. A commission to obey and a refusal to heed. And in these first three verses, we are going to witness a clear expression of God's sovereign will and man's determined opposition to it. So let's begin this evening by looking at that commission to obey. If you're with me in Jonah chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says this. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying. We covered that much this morning. But watch God's word here. Look at what God says. It's it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. I wouldn't think it would be that difficult to obey, but notice what God says in verse 2. God says to Jonah, God says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. So in verse 2, we see this commission that Jonah was called to obey, and I want us to notice a few things about this commission. I want us to notice a a, a few things about this command that that God gives to Jonah. One of the first things we see, I think, in this passage is we see that this was a commission that was given with great clarity. This is a commission with great clarity. This, This is not a difficult command that was given to Jonah. In fact, this is a very clear and a very simple command. At its core, the commission is this. Go. That's the core of this message. In fact, God gives Jonah three imperatives here in this passage. If you look at the verses, the three imperatives are this. God tells Jonah to arise, to go, And to cry, not cry this way, but cry out. Those are pretty simple terms. Those are are pretty clear terms. All those verbs are pretty easy for us to understand. If I told you, arise, go, cry out, you would know what I'm telling you to do. 
You would understand those verbs. There, there, there's no question about what those verbs mean. So God says to Jonah, arise, go, and cry. God's command to Jonah, it seems simple. Go to Nineveh and do just what you did in Israel in the court of King Amaziah. Preach the words that I give you. Jonah understood these commands. He, he obeyed this command back in 2 Kings that we saw earlier as he went to Israel and he did prophesy about what was going to happen. Jonah understands this command. It's, it's a pretty easy command. So what was Jonah's difficulty? Now, perhaps it's easier to say what Jonah's difficulty was not to start us off this, this evening. I think we can clearly say this, that Jonah's difficulty, it was not an intellectual difficulty in the sense that he might not have found this word from God to be easy to understand. This message was crystal clear. There are no doubt times when spiritual problems arise because of a failure to understand God's word. No doubt. But this is not one of those times. This is not what happens here in Jonah's experience. And if we're honest, it's not usually what happens in our experience either, right? It's often been said this, and I think it's very true, that our problem in obeying God is not that we don't understand what he, said, what he is saying, but that we do understand what he's saying. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah, he did not need to go to, to his library and pull out his, his study Bibles and his commentaries in order to try to figure out what God's divine intentions were for him. No, his difficulty was not an intellectual problem. And if the truth be told, our problem when it comes to obeying the word of God is not usually an intellectual problem either. You say, so what was his problem? We'll get to that later. So this was a command with great clarity. But I also want to see this about this, this commission. We, we see that it was a commission with a note of reality. God says this to Jonah. He says, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. The city of Nineveh, where Jonah is to go, it is called that great city because it was a great city. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and it was located on the Tigris River. In fact, it was the world power of that day. Nineveh was the largest city in the world at that point. In fact, the city was so large that we're told that it took three days to cross it, and it had 120,000 infants or small children. It had walls that were 100 feet high, and they were so broad that three chariots could run abreast around them. And within these walls were gardens and even fields for the cattle. I mean, this, this, was no, this was no small city. This was a great city. And you see, on this assignment, Jonah was being sent to this great city. In addition to that, Jonah would not be preaching to, to people familiar with God and with God's law. He's going to be going to, a, to preach to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews. 
He'd be preaching to the most powerful nation in the known world, a nation that had also been an enemy and a threat to Israel for many years. And basically what God is telling Jonah is this. God is telling Jonah to go right into the bully's backyard and to preach against their wickedness all by himself. Interestingly enough, well, not interestingly enough, but it's also said in this text that although Nineveh was a great city geographically speaking, it was also a great city of wickedness. It wasn't just a large city by size. It was a large city in wickedness. In fact, the emphasis, I think, in these verses is actually to emphasize not the size of the city, but the wickedness of the city that Jonah is going to be going and to be preaching against. Its wickedness is so great, the Bible says, that, that it's, it has come to God's attention, if we could say. Obviously, God knew about it, but, but it comes to God's attention, and he, he's now determined that he's going to judge this city. It's as if, uh, unless the city were to turn to him. Which kind of leads into this third thing about this commission that I want us to see, and that is that it was a commission with a heavy responsibility. This is a commission with a pretty heavy responsibility. We saw how God gives three clear imperatives in these verses. Jonah is to arise, Jonah is to go, and Jonah is to cry out. You see, although the commission was clear, it was one that carried the responsibility of going into a pagan nation filled with wickedness and to deliver a passionate message of God's coming judgment. I mean, think about this. For one man to arrive all alone with a message from an unknown God against a city like Nineveh seems ludicrous. Does it not? I mean, and that, that seems crazy. And, and, and in reality, what could, what could one man do in a city of this size and in a city filled with this much wickedness? Who would even listen? No doubt the men of Nineveh would ridicule this strange Jewish prophet that's coming into their land, into their city, and trying to proclaim judgment against them. Yet it's interesting, because when Jonah actually takes this second chance that God gives to him and goes to Nineveh and cries out, his message in the Hebrew was five words long. A couple more words in the English, but Jonah preaches a five-word message. And some of you are thinking, wow, why can't our pastors preach a five-word message, right? But Jonah preaches a five-word message, and you know what the result is? The entire city of 600,000 people repented. You know, as you look at the commission that is given to Jonah, arise, go, cry out. Does it not sound pretty similar to the commission given to New Testament believers today? Throughout the book of Acts, we find the word go 
used and reiterated over and over and over again. Go, go, go. Now we recognize that the book of Acts, it begins on the heels of the Great Commission, right? And the Great Commission is actually reiterated in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where it says this, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, we don't find the word go in that actual verse, but we understand that the message that's being given is to go. It's a repeat of of Matthew where Jesus says, go teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and in the name of the Son and in the name of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. You see, Jesus has given to us a commission as well. He's given us a commission to go. And isn't it true that sometimes we maybe think some of the same things are true that we saw about this commission? Well, God, the world is so wicked. What can I do? What can one person do in going into and delivering a message? And through Jonah, we see that God can use one man with one simple message to accomplish an incredible task. You want to know why? Because it's actually God who accomplishes the task. He just uses us to do it. Throughout the book of Acts, we find the the reiteration of this word go, and it's interesting that every time that God said go, there's always a positive result for those that went. Not that it was always easy, but there's always a positive result. There was always something positive for the gospel when God said go. I think that's why one of the greatest commands in the Bible, as far as the New Testament is concerned, is to go and to tell. And just as the commission was clear for Jonah, the commission is clear for us as well. And just as it was with Jonah, the disobedience to that command is not an intellectual problem for us. It's not that it's too difficult for us to understand. So what is it? What is it that that keeps us from going? Well, in Jonah's case, Jonah's difficulty, and I I think it's the same as, as our difficulty, although not specifically the same. We'll look at Jonah's difficulty here in just a minute. But Jonah's difficulty, it was a moral issue. It was a heart problem for Jonah. And I think that we could say the same is is true for us when we do not follow and obey God's commission. It's not an intellectual issue. It's a heart issue. God spoke to Jonah on this particular occasion about this particular matter. God's will and Jonah's will come together on a collision course. Jonah had his own desires, his own ambitions, his own plans to fulfill. Jonah had his own concepts of how things should be and how he could best serve God. So that's the commission. We see the commission to obey from God in verse 2. God says, go. 
And now in verse 3, I want us to see a refusal to heed. The refusal to heed. Look at verse number 3. It says, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. So Jonah, Jonah leaves his, his hometown of Gath-Hefer. We, we talked about that this morning, which is in the northern kingdom of Israel. And, and with this call, with this commission from God, you would think that he's going where? You would think that he's going to head for the city of Nineveh. But for that to happen, Jonah would have to, would had, to have had to go east from Israel to get to, to, get to Nineveh. But instead of going in that direction, he does something very strange. He goes down to Joppa, and he buys a ticket on the first boat for Tarshish. Now, Tarshish was a city founded by the Phoenicians. It was on the, most believe it was probably on the southern coast of Spain. It was kind of the the jumping off place of the west. And what we have before us here in these verses is a far greater problem than the problem of Jonah in the fish. The problem in the book of Jonah is not the fish. The problem in the book of Jonah, it's Jonah. And God asks him to go to Nineveh, but he buys a ticket for Tarshish. God tells him to go east And Jonah decides he's not going to obey, and instead, he goes west. Now, I might have my directions mixed up here, so you get what I'm saying. Jonah was determined to go as far as possible in the opposite direction for which God was sending him. Let's finish reading verse 3. It says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, He went down to Joppa. He found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. A couple questions that I want us to ask here as we think about this refusal to heed. The first question is this. From whom did Jonah run? Who was, why, why is Jonah running? From who did Jonah run from? Was he running from Nineveh? Oh, I guess in a sense, but but that's not who he's running from. Twice in these verses, we see this phrase, from the presence of the Lord. Jonah is fleeing from God. He is actively trying to ditch the Lord. You see, Jonah gets this. Jonah understands that the only possible way to escape obedience to the Lord's command would be to escape the Lord altogether. Of course, David would remind us in Psalm 139 that that is impossible. David says this in Psalm 139. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, interesting phrase there, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And you know what? Jonah probably knew this psalm. You see, Jonah lived at a later time in in the Old Testament. So so it's likely that Jonah's familiar with this psalm of David. 
And it's obvious that Jonah cannot flee the, or escape the omnipresence of the Lord. It's pointless to try to run from God. So what's Jonah doing here? The phrase away from the presence of the Lord or away from the Lord's presence, many believe it's more of a Hebrew idiom that indicates that Jonah is in full rebellion against God. Jonah is trying to do more than escape from Nineveh. Jonah is trying to reject God himself and everything about God. Jonah is seeking to flee, get this, Jonah is seeking to flee the manifest presence of God that would have been found in the temple at Jerusalem. Jonah's looking to get as far away as he can. And understand this tonight. To reject any one command of the Lord, no matter how tough the application of the command seems to be, is to reject God's will and thus to reject God himself. Let me me repeat that. To reject any one command of the Lord, no matter how tough the application of the command, no matter how tough it seems to be, is to reject God's will and thus is to reject the Lord himself. And you know, it's at this point that we find our first great lesson regarding God's sovereignty. Built into Jonah's first attempts to get away from God, we see the results that will follow anyone who tries to disobey him. It's interesting as we look at these first few verses of the book of Jonah to see how Jonah's path is described. And I don't want to make too much of this, but but I think there is something here. And, And that is this. In the first five verses of this book, of the book of Jonah, Jonah's path is constantly described as going down. It's suggested in verse three, where we're told that Jonah went down to Joppa. Then he goes down into the ship. In verse 5, he goes down into the lowest part of the ship, and he lies down. Like I said, I don't want to make too much of that, but isn't it true that that is always the way when a person runs from the presence of the Lord? The path may look beautiful at the start, and it may look peaceful, and the ship may look attractive, and maybe when Jonah showed up to Joppa, he was thinking in his mind, well, hey, perfect, a ship, everything looks great. Maybe this is the will of God all of a sudden. But the way is still down, and it's away from the presence of the Lord. But there's another result, and I mentioned this result this morning, and I mentioned this this quote this morning by Donald Barnhouse, and I want to mention it again tonight. He said this. He said, when you run away from the Lord, you never get to where you're going, and you always pay your own fare. On the other hand, when when, when you go the Lord's way, you always get to where you're going, and he pays the fare. You know, Jonah illustrates one half of that statement. Jonah went his own way, and he paid his own own fare, and what did he get out of it? 
nothing. In fact, you'd kind of hope that maybe he got a refund before the sailors threw him overboard. He, he, he got nothing out of it. Jonah didn't get where he wanted to go. And Jonah illustrates well for us the first half of this statement, but is there someone in the Bible that maybe illustrates the second half of that statement? I think there is. Probably more than one, but, but one that comes to mind. Here's, here's who I think it is. How about Jochebed? Moses' mother. Jochebed trusted God. She went God's way. And listen to what we read in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, said to, to, uh, to the little servant girl, and, and to Jochebed, she said, Take this child away and nurse him for me. Listen to this. And I will give you your wages. <laughs> you see, God paid that fare. And she got everything. Now, I'm not, I'm not seeking to preach a health and wealth and prosperity gospel here this evening. I'm not doing that at all. There is a great cost in obeying the Lord. And Scripture makes that clear, that there is a great cost to choosing to obey God, at least a great cost here on this earth at times. And, and as I said, we see that truth presented over and over and over in Scripture, but the cost is always less than disobedience. And the, and the rewards and blessings to obeying God are always far greater. They're always far greater. So from, whom did, so from whom did Jonah run? Well, he ran from God. Finally, this evening, I want to ask this. So why did Jonah run? Why did Jonah run from the presence of the Lord? Why does anyone run? Why does, why does anyone choose to, to run from God? No doubt there, there's probably a multitude of reasons that we could give to, to answer that question. Uh, you know, maybe it's something like, well, I feel guilty or, or I feel embarrassed. The Bible says that's why Adam and Eve ran and hid. They were naked and they were ashamed, so they hid from God. That's one of the reasons that maybe people run from God. But why did Jonah run from God? Well, from what we have learned so far, I'm sure we can imagine that going to Nineveh would have been quite a daunting task. I mean, I can imagine that knowing what Jonah knew about the Ninevites would give him great reason to run. I've already told you a little bit about the Ninevites. Let me tell you a little bit more. The Ninevites were people who would slay people alive. The Ninevites, were told, were so cruel and wicked that they would attack a city and they would kill everybody, men, women, and children. And not to be too gruesome tonight, but then they would cut off their heads and they would make a pyramid out of human heads at the entrance of the city to tell everybody else that passed by, don't mess with the Assyrians, which is what the Ninevites were. I mean, that is, that, that is bad, that is cruel, that is wicked, and that's what the Ninevites were known for. They were notoriously evil people. In fact, listen to how Nahum describes them in, in Nahum chapter 3. Nahum says this, Nahum says, Woe to the bloody city! 
It is all full of lies and robbery. Its victim never departs. The noise of a whip and the noise of rattling wheels, of galloping horses, of clattering chariots. Horsemen charge with bright sword and glittering spear. There is a multitude of slain, a great number of bodies, countless corpses. They stumble over the corpses. Because of the multitude of harlotries of the seductive harlot, the mistress of sorceries, who sells nations through their harlotries and families through her sorceries. That's where Jonah's supposed to go. God wants Jonah to go to the middle of this city and to tell them they're wrong? I mean, what a daunting task. You say, so, so maybe it was fear, right? I mean, it was fear that kept Jonah from going to Nineveh. I mean, that would make sense. But was it fear that kept Jonah from going to Nineveh? Nope. You see, what's amazing is that it wasn't fear that kept Jonah from going to Nineveh. Jonah was not a coward. Fear was not what kept him from going. You say, well, well maybe it was just faith, faithlessness. Maybe it was that Jonah thought that, that God's word wouldn't be enough. Maybe, maybe Jonah thought that, that God's word wouldn't work to change the Ninevites or, or to judge the Ninevites or, or whatever God w- was going to do there. And so, so maybe Jonah didn't have faith that this was going to work. So, so why waste my time? They're not going to listen. Why, why waste my time? Is that why Jonah didn't go? Well, no. It wasn't cowardice. It, it wasn't faithlessness. You say, ah, I think I know. Because this is what stops me sometimes. It's laziness. Jonah's lazy. Jonah, Jonah, um, Jonah just doesn't want to go. I mean, isn't it true sometimes that God calls us to do things and we think, yeah, but God, I'm already, I'm already doing things. I'm busy. and, and, And you really want me to stop this? I mean, you want me to go where, and and how long is that going to take, God? Maybe that's what Jonah was thinking, right? I mean, Nineveh was 550 miles away. That's that's a long way off without a chariot or, or for us, without a plane ticket. And think about 550 miles. So, So maybe it was that Jonah just didn't want to go through the work of having to go that far away to obey God. Maybe Jonah thought, well, I'm already obeying God right here in my general area. Why go so far? Well, understand this. When Jonah ran from God, he walked down to Joppa, which was no short journey of its own. That was about 80 miles away. And then he got on a boat to sail 2,500 miles. Jonah was willing to go five times further to disobey God than he was willing to go to obey God. He wasn't a coward. He wasn't faithless. He wasn't lazy. He wasn't engaged in in other priorities. Jonah was willing to leave his job. He was willing to leave his family, his country, all the things that would keep other people from going. Jonah was willing to leave all of those things, and he did. 
to turn his back on God. But none of those are the reasons given for why Jonah didn't go. So what's the reason? Jonah ran away for one reason. And what that reason was, you'd never guess unless you read it in Scripture. You'd never guess this unless you read it in the Bible. Jonah tells us his reason towards the end of this book. We looked at it this morning. Look at it again, chapter 4 and verse 2. Chapter 4 and verse 2, Jonah gives us his reason for not going. Here's what he says. It says, so he prayed. Jonah prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant and loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. Here's Jonah's reason for not going. He says, God, I knew that they would repent, and I knew that you would forgive them. And I didn't want you to forgive them. I knew you were compassionate, God. I knew it. But I don't want you to be. You know, Jonah chapter 4 and verse 2, you know what Jonah actually does here? He basically quotes Exodus chapter 34 and verse 6. Do you know what Exodus 34, 6 is? This is when God gives Moses the law the second time. In the previous chapter, God told Moses that he was going to kill the people of Israel. And Moses says, no, no, God, don't do that. Remember the covenant that you have made. And listen to what God says to Moses. It says, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. God says to the children of Israel, he says, okay, I'm going to give these people a second chance because I'm kind, merciful, and I'm compassionate. And you see, Jonah was all for the mercy and grace of God. He is thankful for the mercy and the grace of God as long as it's based on Jonah's will. Jonah is good with God's mercy and grace when it's to his benefit and to his people's benefit, but not for the benefit of the Ninevites. And now we're seeing what Jonah is all about. Jonah would rather be dead in the ocean than repent and do it God's way. Jonah would give his whole life to run from God in order to have his way. You see, the real issue is this. Jonah doesn't share God's heart. Jonah doesn't share God's heart. I wonder this evening if we were, I wonder this evening if we share God's heart for the lost And you know, no doubt it's revealed in how we respond to the commission that God has given to us. So here we have Jonah, who's making some pretty bad choices, wasn't he? 
I mean, running from God. And get this, running not because God is bad, but running because God is good. Try try to figure that out. Jonah is running as far as as he could, negatively affecting everyone around him as he goes. And you know, as we come to this point in the story, in one sense, Jonah's story is over. That is the story of his choice, his disobedience. God has given the command. Jonah has disobeyed. So now what? Well, now Jonah must sit back and suffer the consequences as God intervenes to supernaturally alter the story. And we see this more, we'll see this more in the next message in in the coming weeks, but but we see this is made clear by the contrast between the first two words of verse three and the first three words of verse four. The first two words of verse three, you see what they are? But Jonah. First three words of verse four, but the Lord. I think we've just seen those words recently, haven't we? Ephesians chapter 2, but God. Some of the most encouraging words in Scripture because they are going to signal God's sovereignty and God's grace and God's mercy that are going to begin to act and are going to begin to supernaturally take over. You see, it's true that Jonah had rejected God. He had voiced his little, his little buts as we sometimes do. And God allows him to do it. God's sovereignty does does not rule that out. But now God is going to act and his actions will be far more substantial than Jonah's. Because God's the creator and Jonah's just the creature. In the later chapters, We'll discuss God's perseverance a little bit more, but I want to end with this thought this evening. I think it's important to look at one aspect of God's perseverance in in this present connection. The Apostle Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, we know this verse well, he says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And we often look at that verse and we look at it merely as a statement of eternal security. And it is, don't get me wrong. It is a statement of eternal security. God will certainly continue his work with us regardless of what happens and he will preserve us for heaven. But I think this verse also means, and I don't think we should miss this, I think this, also, this verse also means that God is so determined to perfect his good work in us that he will continue to do so with whatever it takes, regardless of the obedience or the disobedience of the Christian. If you disobey, you may find your initial disobedience easy. But after that, and we recognize this, the way will grow hard. If you obey him, 
you will find the way paved with blessings. But when we disobey, it sure gets hard. And it's going to get awfully hard for Jonah. Because God's going to begin to work. God's going to take over. And God's going to accomplish his plan and his mission. And he's going to teach Jonah a lesson in the process. A couple takeaways as we, as we close. Some thoughts about this commission that God gave Jonah. And, and is Holly in here or whoever is going to play? Go ahead and come on up. We're, we're going to close with trust and obey. And as they're coming up, I want to give these three quick thoughts. When I'm thinking back to this commission that, that God gave to Jonah, I, I think the first thing we see about this commission is that it was authoritative. This was an authoritative commission. The word of God and God's word always has authority. And God's word has authority in our lives. And we don't have the prerogative when it comes to God's word to say, to, to, uh, to treat it as a take it or leave it proposition. The second thought on this command is, is this, that, that this commission was personal. God called Jonah by name. He said, Jonah, the son of Amittai, you go. Understand tonight, this evening, that God has a specific will for you too. God has a specific place for you to go. And God has specific duties for you to fulfill. Some of them are clearly laid out for us in the pages of scripture. There's no question about them. They're simple. They're clear. It's not an intellectual issue that we have in obeying them. It's a heart issue. The third thought is this. Third thought is this. That God's command, it was authoritative. It was personal. And it was specific. God didn't tell Jonah everything but he told him what he needed to know. Just like with Abraham. God didn't tell Abraham everything, but he told Abraham what he needed to know to move forward by faith. And the same is true for us. God doesn't tell us everything, but he tells us what we need to know so that we can take the next step of faith in obeying him and trusting him. Let's let God be God and see what happens when we just simply obey what he says. Let's go ahead and stand this evening.